Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Uninformed Podcast. My name is Jared Isaac Gladys, and I'm gathered with the whole crew. I got Jonah. hey A.K.A. Jaybird. I got Ethan. hey A.K.A. E-Man. Knock and I off. got Zach. Oh, A.K.A. Claims, baby. Hey, guys. Welcome in. How's up? Good to have you here. Thanks for welcoming me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. What a warm welcome. It's quite the warm welcome. So fuzzy. And I hope you guys didn't eat lunch because we have a lot to chew today. And let me satiate that hunger, all right? We're going to be tackling some complex stuff. So just putting it out there now, any questions, feel free, ask, engage. I want to make sure we're understanding as we're going on together. Yeah, we but do. Oh, here we go. Take us on a journey. We're taking a journey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we all attended a college class once in our life. Yes. Did we? Yes. At least one. Yes. At least one. In those classes, picture it's in the 1800s, the 1900s. And you're in a university lecture. You only have a typewriter where you're typing and you're assigned a paper. You need to do the most perfect thesis ever. It's 30 pages long. That's right. Whoa. That's a long thesis. Hey, oh. You don't even oh know what a thesis gosh. is really. So <laughs> that would be tough. That would be tough. <laughs> yeah, I would say you have an adequate understanding of a thesis. You're typing this 30 page thesis and you make a mistake. What do you do? Scrap it, start over. At least the one page. Is that a question for us? Whiteout. You can't, there's no whiteout. I don't know if they had whiteout that time, but you would have to throw that paper out nah. and basically start over, at least that Can page. I, like I, I want to answer. I want to answer. Me, me, pick me. Okay, pick go me. ahead, go ahead. Okay, A, you wouldn't have had a typewriter in class. That's silly. But you might have had it in your own personal space if you were wealthy. And B, you can backspace on a typewriter slightly. You can uh, get rid of a... I have a couple typewriters, vintage typewriters, for fun that I used to type on. How would you do that? I, I do remember hearing that. How would you? Yeah. Uh, if you hit if you hit C instead of O, I feel like you could just go back and hit O. <laughs> no, okay. there a control okay. Z okay. Okay. Yeah, right yeah, thing. Scratch, scratch, scratch. So what I was looking for really, Jonah nailed it on the coffin. Whiteout. The invention of oh. whiteout. Oh, oh okay. Nice. Got okay. rid of some misspelled words, and you could rewrite the letters you want. And now. You can read that phrase coherently. It's going to make sense, and there's no problems with those sentences anymore. Okay. And they laughed and laughed and laughed. Flash forward to modern day era. You're typing on Microsoft Word, <laughs> and rather than well, going through word by word, many people they use spell check. Spell check. Who the heck you uses spell check in 2023? Control check the whole paper. Hey, not everyone knows how to spell, Ethan. Sometimes Use you make chat mistakes. GPT. It just autocorrects yeah. for you now. <laughs> Sometimes it's perfect. Yeah, Sometimes people make mistakes. So afterward, you go through and you're just going to go ahead and plug and chug and fix all of those things. Now, let's take what we just talked about and apply <laughs> this to to us okay oh okay our genetic code i knew it was a metaphor i knew it i knew it was a metaphor it's a metaphor baby we're talking about dna oh dinner splicing dna mutations all that jazz 
If you wipe out like 7% of my DNA, aren't I a banana? Like, isn't that how close they are? In theory, Whoa. yes, but boom. In theory, well, it's not bananas that were our cousins. So we'll just white out what makes me me and turn me into a banana. Yeah, sometimes you look like a banana. Banana Hey-o. Jonah. Banana Jonah. All right. Let's just establish, make sure we, we have a few things before we move forward. Okay. Because we're not talking about DNA per se, but we're going to be talking about gene editing tools and genetic engineering. Oh, oh. I'm an engineer. The. the ethical concerns around gene editing and the future you know in terms of that field so let's establish okay. dna it's a blueprint we all have a human body making up that body we have cells inside of those cells we have a little powerhouse we have molecules called dna that contains the genetic information responsible for the development and function of an organism so this is yeah. passed on from generation to generation so for example Ethan and ex-woman have a baby. They both take 50% of their DNA, pass it on to that baby, and etc. It gets carried down from lineage to lineage. So this DNA inside of these cells, it's made up of double-stranded helixes held together by hydrogen bonds. And there's a few letters that make them up. It's A, T, G, and C. We all got that? Yeah. So that's our DNA. So the question now becomes, why do we need to alter our DNA? Why is there gene editing tools? You know, Ethan said already, he's perfect. What applications could this be for? (laughs) I got some, so two off the top of my head. One, if they can fix, um, you know, negative mutations in DNA. So if you're born, you know, if you're born with, uh, you know, a physical or mental handicap, if they can go in and fix your DNA, uh, or they do that, I don't know, I guess it'd be during the the growing process inside the womb, but whenever it is, if they could patch up the the bad parts of the DNA or the issues, then they could resolve uh, that. And theoretically, I guess every human born would be born 100% healthy or, you know, if they're alive, they would become healthy again. Uh, the second application, I think, could be uh, you could g- basically genetically pick what your children are going to turn out to be. Oh, that's mm-hmm. wild. That's wild. Eye color, hair color, it's like you black know, genetic predispositions to things. So those would kind of be two uh, my two thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say for food, you could just make like a t- particular food more resistant to light or warts or whatever like tomatoes or something but the the kid thing is a lot that's a lot cooler (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i agree with uh, both you guys so this reminds me of brave new world i'm not sure if you guys uh read the book before it was all required for us to read the book buddy we all read it together okay all right cool okay i'm not sure if you know jonah read it or not we were in the same class actually Uh, red oh cool okay so yeah obviously you could turn if you want to turn your son into a D1 athlete, um, there are ways of doing that, at least according to Brave New World. And probably in the future, we'll have um, newer technologies to be able to implement that DNA and add those changes with splicing and all that. Uh, but then you can also probably do it to cure diseases. Uh, maybe there's a chronic disease in your family. Uh, it's hereditary. Then you could probably try to find where that is and try to splice it out. Um, I believe that could be possible. Um, so yeah, those are a few ideas I had. Yeah, these are all really good ideas. We're gonna get to most of these. If I miss one, feel free to come back, ask me a question. 
about it. But Tish, you mentioned a few things about splicing and in the future, which we don't need the future. We have now. Oh, oh hey, hey yo. That's it. <laughs> Boom. And hey, yo. The present is a present. The present is Ooh. a present. There's been lots of gene editing tools in the past. And in 2005, the term CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, oh, came heard about. And in the last maybe five years, you know, around 2018, 2019, there was huge strides in the development of CRISPR. So we're going to be talking a little bit about CRISPR and its impact in the gene editing field. What is CRISPR? CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspace Short Palindromic. And then, so it's CRISPR-Cas9, that's commonly the most use CRISPR, so it's what I just said, CRISPR and then CRISPR-associated protein 9. So in all, I'm going to refer to it as CRISPR going forward. CRISPR, what is it? It's a powerful and precise gene editing tool that's allowed scientists to modify specific genes in the DNA of living organisms, including humans. Not in the future, Zach, it's already been done on pigs, yep. on mice, on rats, and even in humans in a few organ transplants, which we're gonna get okay. to in a little bit. I see. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I, I agree with you. I've heard, or not agree, I've heard of the animal um, splicing. I haven't really heard too much in the uh, human splicing, so I'm curious to see what you have to say on it. Yeah, cool. So let's talk about the splicing a little bit with CRISPR. So CRISPR-Cas9, it, it comprises of two main components. So there's the Cas9 protein, which that is going to act if we want to change the DNA in a human or an animal that we're, we're trying to do this for, or even like a plant. It's going to act as a pair of molecular scissors. So what we mean by that, molecular scissors, we have our DNA, which we established, it's that double helix strand. So we're going to take a pair of scissors, quite literally, which in this case, you know, it's going to be put in the body via vector or direct injection. The scissor is going to go to the DNA. It's going to splice a piece of it. It's going to cut it and snip, snip, snap, snap. And it's going to use a restriction enzyme, which then is going to halt from reading on the left or right. And then there's going to be another part, a guide RNA, which that's going to be the guide telling where to go to the DNA to alter the specific parts, where then they can insert basically a blueprint, which that blueprint is going to change whatever we want in the body and the DNA. It can be used for a plethora of things, which we'll touch a little more on. But CRISPR-Cas9, some of the things it's been used on, it's been for treating genetic diseases, for cancer, for treating cancer, for HIV and infectious diseases, which I have case studies for all of these, which these have all been successful trials in animals, for organ transplantation, for genetic engineering of cells, for the modeling and drug development, and a few other small little things. So what are our thoughts on CRISPR currently? That's crazy, man. Already a wild technology. Already. Wow. Just the idea that you can manipulate that uh, seems mind-boggling to me. So you're saying I could become Spider-Man in real life? <laughs> uh, potentially in the future, you could develop traits that allow you to jump and climb walls. Um, oh, that's a very thoughtful answer. Using technology such as this, but in the current day and age, we're nowhere close. There haven't been any 
human trials with the with the exception of four clinically approved FDA brain dead patients in the hospital. What do they, what do, they do to them? Um, yeah, so I guess we can get into that now. So we'll talk a little bit about organ transplantation, how CRISPR has played a part in that. It's been used, it can enable generation of organs from animal donors with edited genes, reducing the risk of organ rejection in transplantation. Okay. Just before you go on, Jared, if you just play that mental thought experiment, just play it out, you know, 10, 15 years in the future, it will could be like what Jonah was saying at the beginning, where you could, right? I mean, is that far-fetched? But it's just, that's the trajectory it's going, right? If you play it yeah, out 30 years. Yeah, the trajectory it's going on is actually insane. Well, it's crazy. So I, I might be mistaken here, but I think like a couple years ago, this like really became a big like news story where it was it was framed in a light where potential parents down the road would be able to kind of dictate um, and you know the qu- quote unquote design mm. their children. Oh my gosh! And then it yeah. kind of became it kind of yeah. became like a, a philosophical issue or debate, mm-hmm. I guess, if you Certainly. will, about you know should humans have the right to be able to do that? If they do that, what would it do to society? And, you know, there are certain traits that, you know, there's there would be a lot of good because you'd be able to weed out diseases and undesirable traits. But it could also lead to, you know, a lot of maybe not necessarily evil, but a lot of negative connotations as well, where now all of a sudden, if you don't if you don't meet A, B, C and D, you know, now you're an outcast, you're a minority, um, you know, and everybody's going to have. You know, blonde hair, blue eyes, six four, mm. uh, a propensity to for high muscle mass and and low body fat, and you know, it's just kind of like what makes us human and differentiates us. If it all boils down to being able to being manipulated, you know, are we really all that different if we're all designed identical to each other? Yeah, it's like we're playing with God almost, um, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, it's yeah. also crazy that you chose blonde hair, blue eye as the yeah as really. The, are you, Hitler, <laughs> Jesus that was Christ! Like a, I just picked that because that's a common thing that people like. I was comparing it to that. Like, to, that's yeah. what Hitler tried to do, and mm-hmm. you know, one of the the bat the downsides to this is people said, you know, well, the people in charge or however you want to go about it, this could kind of be a different way to go about it. Where all of a sudden now. Um, you know, if you want to get, you know, government funding, a job, whatever it is, you have to meet certain criteria as far as what, you know, quote unquote, they deem de- desirable. Yeah, which we'll definitely get into a lot more of the ethical implications of what's going to happen from this. Uh, but while we're here, let's just make sure we establish what exactly CRISPR can do, because we've hardly touched the surface of how incredible. What? Uh, what? I just feel like you were talking about CRISPR for a while, and now we've we've only dipped our toes in the water. Like yeah. I don't, I can't wait to see what's gonna come. No, yeah, 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 I can't yeah. wait. Physically, I can't wait. Physically, I'm just um, unable to wait. I need it now. I need it now. So, talking about the organ transplantation with this, the big thing has been xenotransplantation, which all that means is you're transplanting organs from one species to another. Most commonly, it would be pigs to human, or the most similar is baboons to human. If we do develop a way with humans, they 
think that we're gonna try to use baboons for organs. I don't want no baboon organs in me. Hey, they might be stronger, man. If it's a life or death mm. situation. I'd rather yeah. die than have a monkey monkey <laughs> balls in me. <laughs> no, that's a hot take. It's a hot take. But so with each topic, we're gonna talk about how great it is, but there's risks that come with everything. If we're grabbing something from a pig from a different animal, there's gonna be- Swine flu. Swine. Well, there's gonna be retroviruses, <laughs> which in theory swine, but most of these animals are gonna be lab grade animals. They're gonna be grown in labs. Therefore, it's gonna help prevent a lot of these, you know, different infections coming in from these different species. Although that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's gonna stop that entirely. It's facing immune barriers and just the risk of rejection from the body due to just a different species that we haven't quite tapped uh, how to do that yet. But it has been utilized in preclinical studies to modify pig organs in human xenotransplantation. So some examples in real life when we've seen this is it has not been FDA approved, but it was given special granted access for some brain dead patients in the hospital. So brain dead meaning there's no more function of the brain, their brain's not coming back to life. Essentially their the rest of their body is their heart's pumping, it's working, but they're not they're not a viable source of life. Uh, well, I guess that's a hot take. Um, <laughs> we but, love hot takes on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. essentially it's not. So they transplanted into three of these people, two kidneys like per person into these people. And then they tested the ureter function and the filtering of the kidneys, which that's the purpose of the kidneys. It's going to filter out urine as well as a lot of other processes but for two months it filtered and there was no issues at all in humans which was a, a huge success with hmm. CRISPR uh, and then those people the families eventually pulled the plugs maybe like two three months later and the other example we have is there was actually a human who was brain dead that he received a transplant of a heart and the heart then pumped he had no issues until he suddenly dropped dead Oh. which they found traces of uh, like a, a virus in the body that they think it probably came from the transplant heart, but hmm. it was viable. Question for that's, you. So these... That's pretty, pretty fascinating. It is fascinating. So these individuals were brain dead. Did they remove like their working kidneys and heart or were they like in need of those? Uh, or did they like, we're going to go and take you, the human kidneys out and just replace them with animal kidneys yeah in all three of them they had insufficient uh kidney function so okay. they still worked a little bit but uh they were at this point incontinent from being in the in the hospital uh and then from being uh you know just brain dead for so long it started hmm. failing a little bit Oof. so um all of them they were not functioning they didn't take healthy ones out gotcha i have two questions so the first one can you can a human survive off of one kidney? Is that true? Yeah, uh, yeah a human can survive off one. My kidney. mom has one kidney. She was okay. born with That's one a... kidney. Oh wow! That's why you can donate one. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe the second one is more of a I guess comment slash slash question. Um, comment slash question. There you go. Uh, so with that, uh, we were talking about spiders and pigs. Um, I'm not sure if you guys heard that they have done some gene splicing with a spider and a pig and a pig can actually produce silk really 
Yeah. Interesting. You, you guys don't hear about this? This is like years ago. Was it Charlotte's Web? But definitely, definitely check it out. So, yeah. After yeah. after this episode, so. So that's actually a good transition for me, Zach. So. Yeah. We're gonna touch into real quick the difference between GMO and gene splicing. How this is a little bit different. So GMO, okay. which a lot of us have heard, we eat foods. Mm-hmm. Genetically modified. Genetically modified. Can any of you guys give me an example of a GMO food? Corn. Banana. Tomato. Strawberry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blueberry. So when they do, when they, you know, let's say the original banana, whatever it looked like, I have no idea, compared <laughs> to what it looks like now, what do you guys think that process looks like? That's a good question. So I don't really have... Is oh, it, it's not the standard, you know, like the standard biology thing where they like they pick the best banana out of every bushel and they make they cross pollinate or whatever it is, and they keep picking the best ones until we get the banana. That's is that different? That's like dog breeding or whatever. Is that a different thing? No, that that's actually pretty spot on. Okay. Uh, the main thing I was trying to steer us away from is I feel like people hear GMO and it's like they're pumping my foods full of different stuff. They're throwing a, a needle in and shoot, oh, you know, okay. here's yeah, a super no. ripe tomato, which in reality, it's kind of like what you said. You know, we're looking back at Mendel from, that was what, the 18, 1900s with the, mm. the pea plants? Yeah. You know, types. Yeah, that's the one. Where, yeah, he would crossbreed these, these peas and then get some with flowers, some with different colors, you know, where he could crossbreed those and that's how you make gmo items basically from doing that yeah it's like you're taking care of the natural selection you're doing it for the plant right hmm. exactly that's the difference because crispr can be used eventually in the agricultural industry right now we're kind of just focusing on humans today but i did want to establish that that's like what, what was the other one you mentioned jared you said most people get confused between gmo and then what was the other one just between gmo and CRISPR, oh, okay, you know, okay. gene splicing. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, gene splicing. Yeah, okay. Any questions about the organ transplantation? Oh, by the way, I was looking up while we were talking. Uh, so there is a goat out there that can spin webs. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't pigs. It wasn't a pig. For some reason, I thought it was a pig. Maybe I got confused with spider pig. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, if you look it up, look it up after the podcast. Um, it's very interesting. Um, there's a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, and um, animals that have been crossed or have been gene spliced. So definitely check it out. Check it out. Yep. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, yep. So I want to get into kind of the bigger things that are going to be applicable out of CRISPR, which the big one could be treating genetic diseases, cancer therapies, and then stuff like HIV and infectious diseases. Um, which establishing this so there's a difference between just diseases and then genetic diseases Mm -hmm. genetic diseases these are inherited from our parents Mm -hmm. so when we're looking at our our DNA we have a double helix DNA which you actually have two identical copies you get one from mom one from pa or whoever your parents one from dad one from dad one from mom one from mom whoa Whatever. Hey. 2023. Hey. 2023. <laughs> You're getting these two similar helixes of DNA. This DNA, there's dominant and recessive. This is what we were saying with phenotypes. So typically, if you have something in the DNA that's dominant, you only need one of that to show, and that's going to be what it is. So if we're looking at eye color to make it simple, 
Brown and blue. You know, brown eyes, that's mm-hmm. a dominant. So if you have the brown, then you just need the one, and then that's going to overtake the other recessive traits. Whereas some other ones, like green, for example, those are recessive. So now you need the ma and the pa to both be recessive for that trait to show. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and not only to be recessive, but to pass down the recessive gene. So, you know, you could have one dominant and one recessive, and the other parent has, you know, two recessives. You know, it, it all depends on whether the first parent, if it's the dominant or the recessive that's passed down, that will determine everything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And sometimes I think maybe you guys have heard, maybe you haven't, but a lot of things are passed down via the mother, which it's passed down that way because the mother has two X chromosomes, whereas the male has an X and a Y chromosome. So the mother gets two X's, which is going to help influence the decision, whereas the male only has one X, which Hmm. then they only get one more indicator for that decision. So if it's dominant and the mother passes down that one dominant, then it's going to influence the traits via the children. What happens if you have an extra one? Autism? Which, <laughs> or Down syndrome. Yeah, like Down syndrome. Trisomy 21, that's, you know, you line up the chromosomes. The 21st, you have three chromosomes there instead of two. It would be examples of that, which actually CRISPR, you know, it could potentially get to a point where, you know, it can splice and cut out parts of that DNA that are mutated DNA and input a proper one. But it's not going to fix, you know, you know, things of you know, facial, uh, you know, but more so in eggs and sperm at that point for, for Down syndrome, it's going to, it's going to change, uh, you know, what the baby's going to look like going forward. Like Jonah said, brown eyes, blonde hair, hail, you know? Well, those are recessive traits. The blonde hair, blue eyes, those are both recessive. So theoretically it would Mm -hmm. be a lot harder to get both of those. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why Hitler loved it so much. It's so rare and beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Jonah? (laughs) So continuing with this, we've established dominant and recessive. So how does this apply to diseases? We also have dominant and recessive diseases. Think about things like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of parents who have Mm. Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and they have kids and it's a worry like my kids gonna grow up and when they're 50 they're not gonna remember anything you know why does that happen because there's dominant and recessive diseases as well which these are inherited diseases interesting when you're born it appears your phenotype it appears normal it's like the kids normal everything's fine whereas when you get older these recessive so you have just that double recessive right there from you know like the mother or, or the male that then it starts to show later in life. These are examples of things that it can be used for to cut the DNA, put it in, and then alter it that it's going to stop and pretty much, in theory, you know, prevent people from losing more. You know, how's Alzheimer's works? So you have white matter that coats around different parts of the stem and the brain, which it retains information in that. So you have Alzheimer's, which then is going to start degrading that white matter in the brain. By preventing this, it's not going to degrade it anymore, and it's going to halt the loss of any more. Uh, therefore, kind of almost like a cure, you know, you could call it. Hmm. So, not all not all diseases are recessive or dominant, right? Just select ones. 
Technically, everything would be recessive or dominant. Yeah. Okay, as far as a disease goes... Like hemophilia, that would be like recessive. It would be passed down from the mother because she has two exes. So as far as a, a disease goes, if you don't mind kind of breaking it down for me. So to go back to the eye example, if me and my wife both have recessive uh, eye color then our kids are going to have recessive eye color. If there's a dominant in there, then it's more likely that they might have a dominant eye color. If a recessive gene is passed down, or a recessive disease is passed down, does it also need to be passed down from the other parent, or is it like only one dominant needs to be passed down, and then boom, you have it? Or like, what if only one recessive is passed down? Like, can you kind of break that down a little bit? Yeah, that's a good question. For some of these diseases, if it's dominant, it only needs the one. Whereas with some others, if it is recessive, then the DNA, you know, it could read that normally, that you're not gonna inherit those traits and it won't develop later in life. If it, if it is a delayed onset, you know, if it's recessive, even, you know, where it's supposed to show at birth, there's times where it, isn't necessarily going to pick up the one side you know it's almost just like you know roll the dice so the recessive disease may or may not show up yes the recessive may or may not show okay. up okay so mm -hmm. for example uh parent a has a recessive disease uh parent b does not and parent a suffers from the disease their kid may not suffer from the disease at all or they may because of the recessive trait right which okay. it is destined like at conception you know when yeah when, yeah, yeah so you know it's not like the kid's going to turn three and then the dna is going to change right their yeah, it's, dna it's is made and their future is sealed but but we just don't know exactly you. yeah yeah hmm. like parkinson's where it's a Usually well, an adult onset. Right. So, Jared, could you take someone, a kid's DNA, and then, you know, look at it under, I don't know, however they do it, analyze it, and then figure out, you know, if they have the trait or not? Or is that yeah. too hard? You can look at the sperm or an egg. That's probably the easiest applications right now that they've currently done. Even outside of the gene splicing universe, think about, like, in vitro. With in vitro you can sometimes select whether you'd want a male or a female because they've been able to determine, you know, from that, you know, what's going to develop. You know, oh, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. So that's know. already kind of, isn't that already kind of like playing God, like kind of doing some of this stuff? Yeah, there's stuff. already been gene splicing that's currently been used. It just hasn't been as big as, like, we could entirely change the DNA of my child or I have muscle dystrophy, you know, and and I I want to get rid of it. You know, it's mm -hmm. never been as big as the potential of of what this protein enzyme is able to do. Right. Hmm. I'm sorry if this is taking us off topic a little bit here, but the in vitro thing I thought was interesting. So like when this works, when they go in to do gene splicing, say you have you know uh, Alzheimer's, like you said, if you want to eliminate that, um, do, how at what point in life? do you you have to go through that is it when it's a sperm or an egg is it app you know while it's growing but it's not a fully formed uh you know person yet like can you do it in somebody that's you know 25 years old can you go in and, and change you know their dna and have it you know make an a, a effect on them 
Yeah, good question. So from the beginning, the simplest would be before the egg and the sperm meet, they both have their sets of DNA inside of them. Mm -hmm. So at that point with in vitro, the idea is you're trying to create an embryo or you're trying to take this fertilized egg, put it and hope it sticks inside of the you know fallopian tubes where it's then gonna travel down and make the zygote. So before you do that, you can take a look at the male sperm or the female egg, view the double helix, and we're trying to see if there's any mutations anywhere across the helix. So if there are any, which there's a you know generic linear, you know, you you can you know, people have been studying this for a long time, you know, so they, they know what the mutations look like. We're looking for those, those four sequences where it's sequencing it all out. So at that point, they can see if there's mutations and using this, they could change and splice and modify that. Once the kid is put together, <laughs> sounds weird <laughs> to say. Uh, like a hot potato, like yeah. a potato doll, yeah. You know, it's not allowed, but yeah. Mr. So, potato. You know, once, once the potato, kid is then... Yeah. Uh, I guess fertilized, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, you know, at that point, it can also be viewed again, the DNA, but there's only certain things that can be changed. So, you know, if you wait until the kid's born and there's physical abnormalities, that, that's, you know, there's nothing you can do, you know, about that. But you can change different things that are mainly, it's just inherited or genetic passed on from the parents. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, that makes sense. I was trying. I was trying to think of a good analogy, and I couldn't come up with one. But what it, I'm thinking it, of it is like, be like heart disease. You know, if you eat, if you're, you know, getting eating a ton of food, high cholesterol, and you get a bad heart, you know, that isn't necessarily influenced by your genetics. But you could be predispositioned to having higher cholesterol, which would be a code in your DNA that could be changed before you're born, before you have, you know, your actual child, which would not then predispose your child to a higher risk of heart attacks. Yeah, I, I thought that was well said. That made sense. It, you know, you kind of got to go in there and, and fix it before it's an issue rather than retroactively trying to go back and uh, fix it. Because it would be in all of your, all of your, you know, your DNA and all of your cells. So you can't, I, I don't even know how you would change it in an adult, but I was just curious. Yeah, no, good questions. Looking at some of the complications, because I'm sure this sounds really complicated. There's a million different things that can go wrong. Yeah. And one of them is, yeah. you know, what are the ethical implications someday? Let's say we develop this more of doing this and accepting the potential consequences of this child then developing further and worse and potentially killing the baby from doing these. Um, so those are potential ethical, you know, uh, problems mm -hmm. that we could have, which when we're going to do this, so when the sensor protein, when Cas9 is, it has the RNA searching for the DNA strip, there's two ways that it can fix the, the issues essentially. There's non-homologous and then there's like homology directed repair. So in the non-homologous, the DNA ends, you know, picture welding, you're, you know, you weld these guys back together. <laughs> and basically that can sometimes cause small insertions or deletions. You know, we've seen welding jobs. Some people are not good at it uh, and there's just nothing you can do about it. And sometimes you're perfect and the metal just snaps anyway. 
it can cause changes or new genetic material. So what's that mean? It could be one of a few things. One, that mutated part, it could have been cut off and the DNA still reads normally over it. Let's say we're talking about muscle dystrophy in a, in a, in a future kid. It could cause the symptoms to be less severe. Or it could be there, it's gonna to try to read over it and picture like Ethan, I think you could a little bit. You know, if you add a few extra, you know, commas and semicolons, what happens? It throws an error. Yeah, the whole the whole the whole you know script is not gonna read anymore. It don't work. So it could just cause is that what it does? Yeah. Yeah, it don't it's yeah. gonna the code's gonna break. It don't yeah. work. Uh-huh. So it's just gonna break yeah. it. That's a potential, you know, side effect. Um, and the other one would be HDR, that's the homology directed, which that uses a repair template to fix the break accurately. So that's how they can introduce specific changes or new genetic material at the targeted location. So I know that's been a lot. Up next, we're going to talk about T-cells and with cancer, but questions on what we've covered? No, no question. I've been asking mine as we go along, so I'm up to Yeah, I'm going to let you do your thing. I have a question, but I'm going to hold off till after you're... Until it's not relevant anymore. You're done going, because it might throw you off, so... Maybe we could gene splice Tish's question to the end. Oh. Oh. We could. hey We we could. (laughs) It's okay. I'll I'll remember it. Don't worry. I'll wait. I'm kind of interested to hear, see what you have to say about T-cells, so... Got it. What are T cells? T cells. T cells. Well, quite simply, Barbie and Ken. What are they made of? Blood and skin. And in the blood, (laughs) we have red and white blood cells. So in the white, essentially, you know, we have the red which travels through, and that's the essence of life. It's providing oxygen to the body, and it lets everything function. The white, you know, that's the command center. Call it the Pentagon because it's protecting us, you know? So that's defending against invaders coming into the body. And the main guy who does that is Mr. T. You guys ever seen the A-Team? Of course. Yeah. I pity the fool. <laughs> that's what he says. He says, I pity the virus that come in this body. You know, so <laughs> the T-cells, it's going to go ahead and beat up all the guys coming in. T-cells, they have something in them where they have a natural death. They have a programmed death where they're just going to die. So using this genetically modified code, you can then insert over that or cut that out, splice it out, where it's not going to have this programmed death. So then if there are invaders in the body, so we're talking about things like HIV or AIDS, which is an infectious virus that Mm -hmm. normally overtakes the body system and then shuts down, those T-cells aren't going to shut down and they're going to be able to fight back. So we have seen this. It's been in preclinical studies, and we've seen it. It's worked in pigs and in rats. We've also seen a bunch of things basically with cancer therapies using this where you can target and modify the cancer-related genes because that's what cancer is. It modifies the DNA and the genes, which is why cancer is so bad because it causes the body to shut down. So there's no diseases quite like you know cancer. So because it's at the DNA level, that it's then able to cut and splice, you know, that cancer. Again, we've seen this in, in preclinical studies. T cells though, continuing back to that. Does T stand for anything or is it just called a T cell? Oh, great question. I think it's just called a T cell. Uh, I guess you have the lufocils, you have the uh, eosinophils, you have the basophils, and you have the mesophils. So those oh, are the course. four white blood cells, and then you have T cells. So I don't think T stands for anything. They all have a different purpose, but the the T are the big fighters. 
It's like uh, Clash of Clans. You ever played that? Of course. T's a big giant. Yeah, it's the big giant guy. Thanks yeah. for the tea there, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dear to help, boy. Essentially what happens with the T-cells is we're going to winter soldier those, those sons of puppies, and then you're going to have Captain America all over the place inside of your body. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Time is like that. There, there's a few ways. There can be the knockout of immune checkpoint proteins. So that's the ones that regulate the immune response. And cancer can normally jump over those checkpoints. But now, you know, this is the Mexican border where it's, it, it's locking down the forces and not letting anyone through. Um, we also have the CAR-T cell therapy. So that's been used. Uh, it's a form of cancer immunotherapy. And the T-cells... That's just where they become the super soldiers. Uh, and they then, have, they're like a homing missile. They can target specific cancer cells. And then the other one is just enhancing T cells with that and also eliminating competition. That's T cells. Cool. Yeah. Wow. 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 So, at the sake of getting to the ethical part of this, I suppose I will open it up see if you guys have any questions about CRISPR, how it works, anything we established. Otherwise, we're going to jump a little more into the ethical and safety considerations concerning this. I'm sure Zach has some ethical uh, points. He's our uh, resident ethical man. <laughs> He's our <laughs> resident <laughs> expert. <laughs> the two E's. Yeah. Um, Good ethics. Yeah, so I have a question on... Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this part of CRISPR gene editing currently, which turn on notifications, check out our Twitter and social medias, and next Wednesday we will upload part two going into our ethical takes of CRISPR. So if you want to hear those or have your own thoughts and just want to compare, feel free, check in next week, and we will see you then. Bye.